Steve Carroll, and welcome to the Minnesota DNR's Fishing Tips for River Walleye. We have Terry Tuma and Tim Smalley back with us again today. Tackled Terry Tuma is recognized as one of the top educational multi-species anglers in the U.S. and Canada with more than 45 years of fishing and tournament experience traveling nationally and appearing to and appealing to audiences all over the country. Terry's expertise inspires people of all ages through a dynamic blend of education, folklore, and entertainment while conducting countless seminars and many public appearances on numerous radio and TV stations. He spends at least 150 days annually on open water and ice in multi-species professional fishing experiences. Welcome, Terry. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Also with us is Minnesota DNR Water Safety Specialist Tim Smalley. Tim is known nationally as an expert on boat and water safety and regularly appears in the media this time of year talking about how to have a safe time in your boats. And welcome to you too, Tim. Hi, guys. Thanks for letting me talk. Well, let's talk uh, river walleye fishing, and it's becoming more and more popular, Terry. And, and why is that? Well, I think part of it is that it's uh, due to our, our longer winters, and we really get the spring bug. And the word really has gotten out, too, because we fished the river for many, many years, and there's definitely an increase in fishing pressure and fishing traffic. And, uh, again, part of it, it's the success of the anglers that are out there and the size of the fish. Um, possibly a little bit easier to catch because they're so concentrated. There's a lot of factors, but that word, so to speak, has really gotten out, and there's a lot of participation today. And in some cases, you can fish year-round. Yes, on many, uh, the Boundary Rivers especially are open year-round, so there's lots of uh, locations right now that you're able to fish, and it's all throughout the whole winter. Yeah. You don't see a lot of ice fishing on rivers, though, do you? Some, uh, you do, uh, for instance, south of Red Wing, in those areas you will see a lacrosse area, but uh, ice safety is a big factor, and many times there's not good ice uh, to offer that opportunity. Yeah, we had three uh, pickup trucks go through the ice down on uh, Lake Pepin within a month or so of each other this uh, this winter, so yeah, it can be bad down there. Yeah. What's the big difference between river fishing and, and just open water fishing? Well, the biggest factor, uh, op- talking about open water fishing, uh, lake compared to a river system, it's usually basically location, but there's a lots of people that I know that we hear so many comments about, they hear about the good fishing, especially throughout the summer, on rivers for walleyes and sauger, and then they go there and they become extremely frustrated because they don't know where to find the fish or really what tools to use. And so many times they do not go back. So it's just uh, not to get frustrated, different locations and a lake, for instance. And once we really can uh, hone in on that, then we become very successful. Is it harder to fish a river system? No, it isn't. Uh, what we really need to do, it's depth, and, you know, there's not many times a lot of structure in the winter, winter or in the rivers, I should say, and you're talking about basically about your wing dams, your uh, riprap areas, eddies, and so forth, and depth. And depth is a big factor, and that's what really, I think, so many times throw anglers because they'll fish say, a wing dam or uh, a piece of structure, for instance, or whatever it may be, and all of a sudden with the water fluctuation, which is a big factor, that's going to affect fish location. So they go out there, maybe they caught fish in the spring in that one spot. They go out there, say, a month later, and there's no fish there, but the water depth has changed. 
How about electronics? A big deal on the rivers? Yes, it is. Electronics are a big factor. Here again, too, we need to use electronics to mark your fish. Again, I think we, we're fishing past experiences, if you will, if we uh, don't use electronics. And I think especially river fishing, we really need to utilize these because these fish move drastically. I mean, they move a lot. And if you're sitting in a spot and uh, fishing because you caught a lot of fish couple weeks ago in that one spot or yesterday and you don't catch any fish well the reason being is that probably not there so we need to mark fish and then move but also and i've seen it on the river so many times people will fish a spot for five minutes and then they leave and i don't know why they picked that spot out because that can be very productive and here again we have to give it time we have to just work with the system on that body of water tim when you're out there on uh, on the river system for example what about um the flotation devices and safety tips that you have for anglers. Well, you know, especially with a lot of people fishing rivers in cold weather months because it's you know, basically the only open water uh, fishing that we've got in the winter, um, you really have to be prepared for, in case something happens where you wind up in the water. Most boating fatalities are just simple capsizing and fall overboard accidents. accidents. They aren't big fiery collisions. So when you fall into cold water, uh, you have basically a minute of uncontrollable breathing. You have this gasp reflex, and you're, you're breathing in and out. And if your head is underwater when that, that uh, reflexive breathing happens, you're, you're going to drown. So you really need that life jacket on. Then after that minute, uh, you've got maybe another 10 minutes of meaningful movement that you can rescue yourself before your muscles and hands get stiff where you can't pull yourself back up into the boat. You can't uh, zip up a life jacket. You can't uh, use your waterproof radio or, or cell phone to call for help. Uh, and then after that 10 minutes is over, you have about one hour left in you know, 35, 40 degree water before basically you're dead from hypothermia. You've got that hour or so uh, before you're dead. And that just that doesn't mean you're swimming. Uh, you're floating there in a life jacket. If you don't have a life jacket on, you won't last anywhere near an hour. So cold water is a big, big problem with, uh, with river boat accidents. And uh, you really have to be prepared and have the life jackets and all that stuff. I'm guessing that the people that fish on the river sometimes think, well, they can see the shore, so right. just short swim. Yeah, it's no big deal. Well, yeah, and and in the summer when the water is 70 degrees, maybe uh, if the current isn't too bad, you probably can make it to shore. But it's almost impossible to swim more than you know 20, 30 yards in water that's 30 or 40 degrees. It's just amazing how quickly your muscles seize up. This shock factor, this gasping, it's really quite an eye opener. And the life jackets have come a heck of a long way since oh. those big orange. Yep, yep. Things. You don't have the big uh, orange <laughs> May West uh, uh, HMS Titanic uh, type type life jackets that you have to wear anymore. They're they're still around and they're still legal and so on. But uh, most of the guys I know use the the nice uh, foam. Uh, besides pro providing flotation, they also provide uh, protection from hypothermia. If you do fall into cold water, uh, they help keep that body heat uh, body temperature up. Uh, while you're waiting for rescue. Tim, or, uh, Terry, as we talk about river systems and, and, and angling for walleyes, are there certain kinds of bait or lures that you like to use out there? Oh, yes, there definitely is. Usually early in the season, uh, jigs are very productive with, with generally speaking, fatted uh, minnows, uh, two and a half to three and a half inches in length. And jigs are going to be uh, usually a heavier weight and the reason being is you're going to be fishing vertically and it's going to be uh, and 
fighting the current also, uh, even if throughout the summertime, uh, so often with a low river, we assume that there isn't any current. There is current, especially in that channel. So we have to address that. And uh, generally speaking, then, is using a specific rods for that kind of an application. The other is uh, so often we don't use vertical jigging spoons anymore. They can be extremely productive. And the other is three-way swivel rigs and live bait rigs. Those two, and generally speaking, with minnows or leeches, even early in the season, can be extremely productive. We're talking early season river walleyes. We're talking Aprilish. Wow. And then you said jigs, the the weight of the jig. Um, what are we what are we talking about there? Generally speaking, uh, three eighths, a quarter, even up to a half ounce, and sometimes even a little bit heavier than that. The biggest uh, factor that we have to understand is going to be the depth and the, and the type of current that we're fishing in. And like we were there last fall, we were using some very, very heavy jigs, uh, up to three quarter of an ounce. And the biggest factor again is staying extremely vertical uh, with these jigs. Because if we don't, and we start to drift, or we start, you know, if we're trolling and we're not vertical, we're dragging that jig along the bottom or up. And most of the time, it's up off the bottom because of the current pushing it up, and it's going to definitely cost us fish. Yeah, and when you're fishing on a river, do you anchor or you drift or is it kind of whatever? Uh, generally speaking, anchoring, if you have a, a, a good location, say a clam bed, for instance, or something, anchoring is not a bad idea. But generally speaking, drifting or using your electric trolling motor when you're jigging is, is probably the best way to approach that uh, type of fishing. Because here again, uh, due to the current, and we can use the current to our advantage, like back trolling into it, uh, we do that a lot, and then jigging at the same time, uh, it becomes extremely productive. And, and what we have to understand, though, is try to keep that um, rod and reel closer to the boat and vertical jig. It's so important to vertical jig. What about uh, the the rod and reel? Are there certain ones you should be thinking about? Well, generally speaking, uh, yes. Uh, you want to have the uh, rod and reel that is going to be, and what we generally speaking for jigging is using shorter rods over the side of the boat, something in the area of a 6'2", 6'4", in length with a, a fairly faster taper, not a heavy rod. Because what we have to also understand is that the river wall, especially due to the cold water temperature, and you know, so often we wait for this heavy bite, if you will, this big strike that we're going to definitely feel, and so often they are not doing that. And so we have to really watch uh, and pay attention to what's actually happening under those kind of conditions. And a reel, just a good quality reel with, with a loose drag system. Uh, and there's a lot of comments, should we use super braids like fire line versus mono line? And I have my mixed, I guess, really mixed comments about that. Uh, I think so often we relate to super braids or, or fire line as a magic line. And I think jigging, especially river system, due to the rocks, it costs us a lot of fish. And what, so what... What pound line should be thinking about? Well, generally speaking, uh, when we're uh, using a mono, it's eight pound test, and with the fire line or super braids, it's usually ten pound, uh, but it's uh, rated for ten pound with a four pound diameter. And, and the reason I, I don't want to say that we don't want to use it, but there's some major pluses, but the, I think the really big negative 
is that we, for one, we feel the bite with, uh, much quicker because of the sensitive factor, which is which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But many times we set the hook a little bit too soon. And then number two, if we don't have a softer tip rod, that walleye many times will wear a hole in its mouth and it'll come off halfway up. And we have mm-hmm. done years of experimenting with that, mm-hmm. and it does cost a lot of fish. So here again, we need to match the conditions with line and rod and reels. Uh, and then apply them accordingly. Sure, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Tim, uh, what are some other safety things that people should keep in mind when they're out there on well, the river? Well, Terry was talking about anchoring. It, it, it brought a, a couple of accidents to mind that, I, that have happened in the last couple of years where people have been on a river with fairly heavy current and anchored the boat, but they've anchored it from the stern, from the back end. And that's a, definitely a no-no. You, when you anchor from the stern, then the the pressure of the water is is hitting the flat, the back part of your boat. And see if uh, you know two guys happen to step it toward the stern of the boat at the same time, it can just cause that water to roll up over the transom and into the the boat and and uh, flood it very very quickly, uh, swamp it. And uh, if if it's uh, perhaps a little overweighted, it it could actually sink. And we've had that cases where that's happened. So never anchor from the stern. Uh, uh, in in any kind of a current, and, and it's a good idea even on a, on a lake because if a wind comes up, that that uh, wave can come over the the stern of the boat very quickly and, and swamp you over. A couple other things I always like to try to remind people is boats 16 feet or and over are required to carry that throwable boat cushion PFD life preserver. Uh, it's just those square thing that's got the two uh, soft handles on it that uh, you sit on and. Uh, excuse me, you can throw to uh, someone in distress in the water. That's the law. If your boat's 16 feet or longer, you've got to have that in the boat. And it's got to be immediately available. When they talk about uh, life preservers, there's readily accessible, which means like a life vest you could have, say, in a storage uh, uh, locker, as long as it isn't locked on your boat. A boat cushion has to be immediately uh, available. In other words, it has to be right out so if uh, little Susie falls overboard, you can pick up that and throw it to her immediately without opening up some kind of a locker or a, uh, you know, a storage compartment on your boat. And then you always talk about um, bringing a cell phone. Cell phone in a, in a Ziploc yeah. baggie. Um, you know, in the past we always used to tell people, well, you should have a marine radio. Well, most people don't have marine radios unless maybe they're a commercial vessel or they're uh, uh, they're boating on Lake Superior, fishing on Lake Superior. Uh, cell phones, in most circumstances, uh, at least in the rivers around here, you've got cell coverage. Uh, if you know in a certain place you don't, uh, you probably should have a radio or something. But if you throw that uh, cell phone of yours in a Ziploc bag and zip it up and just have it in your pocket, we've had people call from the water, mm. uh, talking through the Ziploc bag, calling for help and been rescued. Uh, duck hunters in particular, that's happened a couple of times, so uh, neat idea. And what about uh, fire extinguishers and, and, and lights? Yep, fire extinguishers, uh, you definitely need those. Uh, uh, the trick with fire extinguishers are the dry chemical type fire extinguisher gets pounded down. If you have it mounted in a bracket, uh, you know, up near your steering console or whatever, over the summer and the, the season, as your boat pounds on the waves, that powder that's in there that puts out the fire, that gets pounded almost into a solid block. And uh, when the time comes you have to use that fire extinguisher, it may not all come out. So every once in a while it's a good idea to take your fire extinguisher out, shake it up so you can feel that powder moving 
here I'm shaking in front of the microphone. What is this TV here? And then uh, uh, and then tap the gauge to make sure that there's pressure. Sometimes a gauge will stick on full, and then you'll tap it, and all of a sudden the needle bops down because it was stuck in the in the good position when maybe some of the pressures leaked out. So uh, check the fire extinguishers because. Uh, Boy, if you don't have one and you have your fire on your boat, all you can do is jump overboard because fiberglass burns really well when it's, you know, uh, it, it helped with gasoline. And we talked about the, the popular in river fishing, and, and one of the reasons is it is river fishing. It's a great fishery here in Minnesota. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I, you know, size-wise, quality or quantity-wise, it's an excellent fishery, just excellent. I think one thing, though, we do need to address is catch and release. On the rivers, for some reason, that just seems to be shunned away from where people just don't do it. And just take enough fish home to eat some of the smaller fish and and uh, let the bigger fish or the spawning fish stay in that water. I just think, you know, taking all these fish constantly is, and Mother Nature just can't keep up. If you get a, a, a spring where you have a poor spawning, a time frame with some cold weather, that hurts the fishery. They don't be out there and just, you know, constantly take these fish. It has to take a toll on them. Terry, it's been a, a number of years since I've all fished on the river, but I remember the one, the one big fish I caught that day was by a bridge. Where the upright from the bridge, I don't know, what do you call it, bridge tower, whatever, that pulls the driving surface up, creates kind of a shadow in the current. And apparently the fish were just hanging right behind that, where that current shadow was. It must have been a little easier for them, or maybe, are they eating food there, or why are they hanging there? Well, generally speaking, yes, they are eating food there, Tim. And anything that, you know, a real simple definition of river walleye, location-wise, is anything that breaks the current. And so that can mean wing dabs, it can be clam beds, it can be bridge abutments, it can be uh, an eddy, it can be a tree. You can go on and on. And then what you have to do there is what breaks the, the current and then depth. Those two are the key ingredients in fish location. And, you know, not all these fish so often we think early season are all, all by the wing dam or by the major dams. And that's not the case. They're all only wing dams. That is not the case. We had some unbelievable fishing throughout the summer and fall last year, just casting riprap areas. So there's there's just a lot of locations. The biggest factor is, as you mentioned, uh, Steve, was using your electronics and finding these fish. And don't be in such a hurry to move to the next spot. And you mentioned eating fish. Are fish caught in the river okay to eat generally, or is there? Yes, they are. And that, that's a very common question. I don't know how many people ask. <laughs> you eat the fish out of there. Do you? I said, definitely. Uh, that water is very clear. And there's going to be certain parts of river systems where, just like with lakes, that are going to be contaminated somewhat. But the river systems today... Uh, are, are most of them are clean. In fact, uh, many of them are cleaner than a lot of our inland bodies of water. So I don't think there's a problem with that whatsoever. Again, just uh, pay attention to some of the regulations in, in your uh, DNR regulation booklet. Yep, the reg book has a, a whole section in the back about uh, fish consumption advisories for uh, you know pregnant women and that sort of thing. So just take a quick look at that. You probably shouldn't be eating the fish out of you know certain river every day for a month uh, all year long, but, uh, you know, well, go ahead and have a meal once in a while. Well, exactly right, and I think that so often, you know, these regulations are placed uh, for people that possibly would eat fish every day, and I don't know of too many a- anglers that can eat <laughs> fish every day, let alone once a week. You're only good enough <laughs> right. to catch that many. <laughs> right, right. Uh, one thing I should mention, though, uh, uh, when you were talking about anchoring, Tim, is that, and so often, especially with currents, you're anchoring in some rocky areas or wing dams and so forth on a river system, is you'll see people get that 
anchor wedged in these rocks, <laughs> and they're trying to get it out. And uh, one, it's a major safety factor because they're fighting current areas or they're leaning over the side of the boat, and they, well, somebody else is running the boat and they move up. Yeah, somebody powered out. Yeah. yeah, and down they in the water they go. And the other major ingredient they're trying to yank that out, and with the current and the boat moving, and they get their hands pinched in between a, a rope and a, a gunnel, also a major oh, factor. Mm-hmm. If you see the situation, take your knife and cut the rope and forget that anchor. I mean, it just... It's just not wise to keep horsing around with it. I saw an interview with the guy that survived the uh, accident out in the out in the Gulf of Mexico last uh, last year, the football player, and he was saying that's how their capsizing happened. Their, their anchor got stuck, and they were using the boat motor to try to pull it out, and it flipped the boat. So you know you don't want that to happen either. No, that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, cut, you know, anchors are cheap. Buy another one. Yes, yeah, it's just not worth it. Yeah. You know. As uh, as we uh, start to wrap up here, Tim, we'll talk about a float plan and the importance of a float plan. That's, what is a float plan? Well, float plan, uh, like the, the pilots fill out for a flight plan when they're, uh, you know, they have to tell the tower where they're going and uh, when they're landing and all that sort of thing. And uh, we we try to get boaters to do the same thing. Basically, just tell a, a friend or a relative, somebody who'll know when you come back, where you're going, where you're going to be parked with your trailer and so on where you're going to be fishing, and at what time to expect you home. And the most important part of that is tell them then, okay, if I'm not home by 7 p.m., call the sheriff. They'll come out, they'll check and see if you're okay, because we've had cases where people said, oh, yeah, they said they'd be home at 7, and I didn't call the sheriff until midnight. Well, you know, that could be the difference between life and death, especially if those people are floating in cold water. You know, the, the sheriff doesn't mind a wild goose chase once in a while if uh, if it could wind up saving a life at some point. Okay, good advice. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, too, I'll talk about that, but I know when uh, I, I leave uh, to go fishing, and I'll tell my wife where I'm going, that number one, number two is leave your cell phone on. Yep. And then if you're going to be late, call home or yep. call somebody. Say Absolutely. you're going to be late. Yep. You know, give them sort of a heads up and, and not well, we're going to be home at noon, and all of a sudden you roll in at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, so everybody's panicking, wondering right. what's going on. So leave the cell phone on and call home. That's just courtesy or call someone and say you're going to be late. Right, you don't want to be in the doghouse when you get, if you get home late. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> all right, well, that's, uh, that's a good place to uh, wrap things up here. Um, that concludes our program on fishing for walleyes in the river system. Our guests have been Terry Tuma. And, Terry, if people want more information on how to get in touch with you, how should they do that? Well, the best is just to email me. That's terry at outdoornews.com. If there's any questions or whatever, and I do answer all every single one. Excellent. And Tim Smalley? Just uh, check the DNR website. That's mndnr.gov. And we've got lots of stuff on boating safety and fishing and fish identification, everything you want to know. Okay. Again, that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. I'm Steve Carroll with the Minnesota DNR.